Well, good morning. It's always my pleasure to be with you here at Cornerstone. Um, it, it's nice to say what a fine fall morning when it's really fall. Because <laughs> you know, we've done this too many times and it was in July or August. And, uh, but now it's fall and it feels like fall and it looks like fall. And, um, and there's hope that summer's coming again. <laughs> um, it, it's, um, I think it's been a, since the summer when I was with you. I'm going to be speaking this morning on, on joy and anger, and, and I got to choose what I was going to do, and I asked myself in the last few weeks, why'd you choose this one? Because I've been spending a lot of the last month dealing with the issue and the topic of anger. And when I thought, I said, so why did you pick this? Because you know that when you pick something, God makes you live it before you can preach it. <laughs> and the reason that I came up with was I picked this during golf season when there was a lot of joy. So it's like, uh, but school's been good. And I know some of you have prayed uh, for me as school has started. And, and I asked myself the questions, well, how do you know when school is good? Um, my blood pressure is manageable without medicine. Um, that's a good sign. And a young guy um, came to me at the end of the class, my last class, and asked me, how was it that you can be so calm? <laughs> I said, I was calm in the last two minutes of the last class of the day. That's a good year. <laughs> so um, so I, um, I, I've been looking at this topic. I've been thinking through it for the last couple of months. And, uh, and I have a question for you this morning. If you were given $1, for every time you were angry this past week, where could you go to lunch today? <laughs> hmm. um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. I, I thought, I said, well, this week, um, I could eat more than at the dollar menu at McDonald's. <laughs> and I had to ask myself, anger, why? Why? Is it always a bad thing? Is it ever good? Um, being the teacher that I am and, and, and researcher, I start with definitions. Um, Webster's definition from his 1828 edition, um, which is so much different than what we get today. He says, anger is a violent passion of the mind excited by a real or supposed injury, usually accompanied with a propensity to take vengeance or to obtain satisfaction from the offending party. I know that definition. Anger is also excited by an injury offered to a relation, friend, or party to which one is attached. And some degrees of it may be excited by cruelty, injustice, or oppression offered to those on, with whom one has no immediate connection or even to the community of which one is a member. Nor is it unusual to see something of this passion roused by gross absurdities in others especially in controversy or discussion. Anger may be inflamed till it rises to rage and temporary delirium. 1828, sounds a whole lot like 2019. So I began to, to look in the word of God because we're gonna do that this morning. It says um, that anger, uh, and this one confused me until this week. It says um, from another word, it's properly the nose or nostril. And I said, what? And then it says, hence the face, and occasionally a person also from the rapid breathing and passion. It's ire, it's anger. Um, 
And I said, not making a whole lot of sense until Friday when one of my students became angry and I was able to walk in between he and another kid and his nose began to flare and his brow began, 12 years old, uh, his brow began and he had his, his hands were shaking and I, God just gave me the words of peace to speak into his life at that time and I began to see the anger subside and he gave me a fist bump before he sat down. I said, that's what it was. So when, when those people, the, the Hebrews, saw your face, and they saw the nostrils flare, and they saw the, foul, the, the brow just going, they said, yeah, that's anger. That's what that word means. Uh, it also means um, to trouble. By implication, to grieve, rage, to be indignant, to be grieved, to take indignation, to provoke to anger, to have sorrow, to vex, to be wroth. And one last definition, it says desire, as reaching forth or excitement of the mind, that is violent passion, anger. Uh, that's Old Testament. Um, Thayer says it's the natural disposition temper or character, a movement or agitation of the soul, impulse, desire, any violent emotion, but especially anger. That's what that word was translated. So, again, how much anger have you seen this week? How much have you experienced? And then was it good anger or was it a very negative anger? And I asked myself the question, uh, when I teach, um, I, I've been in, I always go to workshops been to probably 15 hours worth of workshops since the beginning of the school, and I'm always trying to, to get better at what I do, and um, a lot of times a teacher will give students something, and they will map out every bit of it. They call it scaffolding. They, I'm going to build this, build this, build this, and build this, and I don't like doing it that way. Um, I like giving them a blank slate. Um, years ago, I had Kevin Durans, you will remember him, I think it was Channel 8, he came and spoke to a class, and I asked him, you're given a story. You don't know anything about the story you're given. How do you start? He says, I take a blank sheet of paper, and I write who, what, when, where, why, and how on it. I said, after all these years? He said, yeah, after all these years. And so that's what I do with my students. And some of them says, well, can't you give us an outline? And I say, nope, can't do that. And I said, I, I want you to take it, I want you to dig, and I want you to dig deep. And, and that's what I've done this past week. I began to dig um, within me and ask, why do you become angry? And the number one thing that came to me, the first thing that came to me is because of an offense. Uh, there's been an offense towards me or someone else. This week, I, I, I um, was told of two teachers who were assaulted by middle schoolers, and that made me angry. Um, and one of them, the, the one boy who hit a teacher numerous times, um, who could have been hurt because the teacher was a boxer and he had enough wit about him to walk away and get help. But this kid I've protected from being bullied at least on four occasions this year by other middle schoolers. And he attacked the teacher. And I'm asking God to give me the right words to say when he comes back to school. But I saw an offense towards someone else. It wasn't because they offended me, but they offended someone else or, or they attacked someone else. And, and that caused me to become angry. And I think that anger was good. I think it was a, a good response. Now, how I deal with it afterwards may or may not be a good response. Uh, what else? Uh, frustration. Um, 
I mean, it was reading and, and listening to people in psychology, and they, they say that anger is actually a secondary emotion. There's usually something else there, and because there's something else there, we become angry. Um, frustration often um, makes me angry. Um, in my class um, over the last week, I have one class, I have five classes, three, seven, and two, eight. Um, my seventh grade classes, I have two of them that are working very well. Um, and I'm not sure if that has something to do with the fact that over 50% of those classes weren't born in America. Um, but those, my, my immigrant children are by far my best students. Um, some of them academically, some of them um, because of behavior and attitude and respect. Um, but they gave me one class of seventh graders that there are 15 of them are special ed students and they blended in them with 13 gen ed students, most of who are very low. And, um, and that's not the class that frustrated me most. My class that frustrated me most and makes me earn my money is an eighth grade class. Um, party central, wherever they go. And I get frustrated to the point of anger and I ask myself, why? And it's because I see where they are and I see what they're facing and I want for them the best so much that it frustrates me. And then because sometimes I don't take care of my frustration the right way, it becomes anger. And, and sometimes I'm not the nicest person. I know you see this really nice guy up here. That's not me during third period and about 15 minutes in the third period on some days. Uh, some days then, um, you know, when I first started teaching, I had a group of kids that were like that and I put my hands in my pocket. And, and the kid asked me, says, you always have your hands in your pocket, why? And I said, so I don't grab anybody. So it's just like, <laughs> I understand that that's frowned upon in the city school district. Uh, but you get frustrated and it becomes anger. Um, injustice angers us. When, when we see injustice around our world, it, it causes angry, uh, anger. Um, sometimes I get angry when I'm disobedient. I'm disobedient. The Spirit of God calls me on it, and I get angry. And I then see that in my students. I said, wait a minute, you've, you're the one who messed up. Why are you getting angry with me? And how often am I like that with God? The Spirit of God convicts me of something, and I get angry because I think it was my right to do this or to do that or not to do this or not to do that. Well, in the book of Proverbs, and I looked at, at these things, and I said, how does this play out in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs 14.29. Proverbs 14.29, and many of the Proverbs, if you read the beginning of the chapter, you'll see that the ones that Solomon wrote was usually with um, to a son of his. And he's giving him advice, um, telling him what life is like. And he says here in 14.29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper or angers easily exalts folly or silliness or foolishness. But, but if you're slow to anger, and there are a number of verses there, and I just took this one that says to be slow to anger. And I like that. Because if I'm slow to anger, that means I'm thinking. And, and have you noticed that a lot of times when you get angry, it's an impulse and you didn't think first? And here he says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. What do you mean have great understanding? I know what happens if I fly off the handle. Um, I will just inflame the other person, and we'll just go at it. Um, I, my first job as an adult, um, 
well, as, as a married adult, was I worked in finance. I worked in credit and collection. And I loved collection. You know, the other guys, they wanted, to get, um, they, they wanted to get promoted so that they could get in and start making loans. I'm not a detailed person. I hated um, you know, approving loans and closing loans. I loved the, the part where I got to collect loans. Um, because, and I was trained that you have to control an argument. You have to control the conversation. You have to get the other person to agree that you're right and to do what you want them to do. Um, that's great for collections, horrible for marriage um, or any other relationship that you're in. Um, and, and, and so I began to listen to people and to think um, not to hear them, but to get an edge so that I can get the edge and, and so that I can win this argument. But you know what? When I'm slow to get angry, I can think about what the person is saying. I can think about what I've said. I can think about the situation. And that says, hey, you really understand what's going on. And that's what Solomon says to his son. Be slow to be angry. In the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 1, he says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody live that this week? <laughs> it's been one of those weeks. Um, and I began to stand back. Oh, and I have a, my special ed teacher in that one class is in her second year of teaching. Last year, there's no way that I could have taught that class of eight boys most of them emotionally disturbed. Um, all of them had anger issues, some more aggressive than others, and she survived. Um, and now she's with me, and, and I sat there, and I, I said, look, I want you to, to present this, this lesson. And, and she presented the lesson, but she fussed the whole time. I said, oh my goodness, she's only like 25. And I, I walked up to her afterwards, I said, you know what? I sat back there, and I saw myself. And I said, you fuss too much. And she laughed and says, you are so right. And it's causing her to get stressed. If she goes at this rate, she will not make it until she's 30 years old. <laughs> it's like, come on, you can do this. And so I've been practicing giving soft answers even when the situation is um, one where you can just give a harsh answer. And so the next time somebody really ticks you off, they really, really do stuff that makes you want to squeeze them lovingly about the neck. Um, give a soft answer. Respond softly. Sometimes it's going to be, okay, I hear what you're saying. And then speak to them. Why? Because the harsh word comes naturally. And here's where it is with the child of God. We are no longer to do the things that comes naturally. Because we've been born again by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God lives in us. And so instead of giving a harsh answer, what's that going to do? That's going to make the other person angry, even if they weren't angry, or make them angrier. And then you're back and forth and back and forth. I, I, I learned from, from a manager who, within 30 seconds after he was on the phone, he was yelling at someone. And, and the first time I yelled at a customer on the phone, was um, probably six, six to eight months into my being there, and the entire office stopped. <laughs> and they turned around, and, and he says, who is that on the phone? Um, but you know what? There was this adrenaline that was there, 
And I found out that if I didn't want to deal with something the right way, a long way, I can just fly off the handle um, and get that person to either quiet down or get louder. And sometimes we didn't get anywhere, but it felt good to get that stuff out. But when I began to say to God, I want to be able to have soft words for people. And I think I mentioned before, my wife introduced me to verse in Galatians when we, we first started talking. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer everyone. Is that in your vocabulary? Is that in your mind? Is that in your thinking? That I'm going to have a soft answer? I'm going to have graceful words? Because harsh words stir up anger. And, and I don't want to be the reason why somebody wants to, gets angry. Do you? Do you want to see people get angry around you? Sometimes you want to see people get stirred up, but not with anger. You want to see somebody get motivated, but not get angry. In that same chapter, 15, he goes on, he says, look, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is, again, slow to anger, quiets contention. And so I think you, you get it from there. And chapter 19 of Proverbs, I, I like this one. The writer says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Wow. <laughs> That's not our culture today. Overlook an offense? It's been amazing to me how um, we got this movement going on. And so we're looking in people's past 15, 20, 30 years and seeing, how can I destroy you now for what you did back then? And, and, I, and I wonder sometimes if we would say to that person, Let's go back into your past and let's just dig out all the ugly stuff. Would you look as good as the person that you're trying to destroy? But here it says, you know, good sense. Have good sense and be slow to angry, to anger. And your glory, it makes you shine brightly when you can overlook an offense. Now, some offenses need to be dealt with. But some things it's like, you know what, I'm going to give you a pass on that one. Um, I know growing up, um, you know, my, my mother dealt with offenses, and I really didn't like the way she dealt with them. Um, and I remember once I, I messed up a new pair of pants because I had an, an ink pen in my pants, and it exploded all over them. And, and I was preparing myself for the manner of death that I was going to face when my mother got home, because and, and I knew it was going to come. And, and, um, and I said, man, I said, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be the most you know, this is going to be a very violent end to my life tonight. And because uh, we didn't have much. And when she would buy us something new that I know that she sacrificed for that. And and the first time I wore them, I messed it up. And, and, and she came in and I said, Mom, I said, I know that I'm not supposed to have an, a pen in my pocket. And I did. And I ruined the pair of pants that you gave me. And she looked at him. And she said, yeah, I can't do very much about that. And that was the end of it. It was just like, oh, God, I lived. And, you know, and I looked, it was just like, what's behind this? What is she going to do with me later? Is she waiting for me to be completely defensive? She never brought it up again. Never, ever brought it up again. Are we like that? Or do we remember what a person did in 1989 on Tuesday the 13th of, I mean, some of us are good. And Solomon says, um, you want to have good sense and show you have good sense? Be slow to get angry and learn how to overlook an offense.
Now, I cheated a little bit, and I went over to the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, it was just right next door, same author, and so I think you'll forgive me for cheating. Um, in Ecclesiastes 7 9, it says on the same vein, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. Now, it didn't say, you know, don't get angry. He says, don't be quick to get angry, and then don't let anger live there. Um, you've been around people, people where anger has a room in their house and a very prominent room in their house. It's not locked away in a closet somewhere. It's right out there, and it's just waiting to answer any offense that comes this way. And it says, no, don't be quick to, in your spirit to become angry. You see those words, in your spirit? Because so often that's where it is. It's not on the surface somewhere and it just hits me and I respond. For some people, anger is a part of who they are and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to root that stuff out. We need to get rid of that in our lives. I think of, of just a couple of times when people got angry and, and it really messed them up. One of them was Moses in uh, Numbers chapter 20. You remember they were going there and those very pleasant people that he was with began to moan and complain and whine again. Uh, in verse um, 2, it says, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together uh, against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place if it is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, you know the story, before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give a drink to the congregation and their cattle. I was listening to um, Discover the Word, and they were talking, and they had this guy who was into biblical um, geography, and um, in geology, geography this was. And he says, over there, there are rocks that if struck the right way, you can draw water from them. And I found that very interesting. Never knew about that before. And he says, it, it says, shepherds today still do the same thing. They know how to hit rocks in certain places, and they can get some water. He said, and one of the hosts says, enough to feed a million people. So I'm not sure if it's that much, but he was going to be able to feed up to three million people there. And it says, and Moses took the staff before God, before the Lord, as he commanded. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Um, there's anger there. There was anger in his voice. And this is what the anger did to him in verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. I, I think at that moment, Moses must have felt really good about himself. You know, I, I performed the miracle in front of the people. God didn't see it the same way. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me, as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. You got angry and you acted on your own. And, and the, the, the guy um, on the radio said, it could have been the fact that Moses had an idea that if he did this the right way, 
that he could get water to come out of the rock. He did it before. He struck the rock and water came out. And now in my sufficiency, in my anger, I'm going to give you water to satisfy you. And God says, hey, you didn't believe me that you could just speak to it this time and have water came out, come out. And because you were angry with these people, should he have been angry with those people? I think they gave him a whole lot of reasons to be angry with that. Should I have been angry? But should I have still believed God and done it God's way? Jesus got angry. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. And when you, when you look at that, your thinking has to be, um, he was angry. Because you cannot very politely turn over tables. You cannot very nicely with a smile say, you know, you, you've done to my father's house. No, I think he was angry. And I think he flipped those things over. And remember, these are things that are filled with stuff in there. And there were people who responded by getting out. So I think there was enough anger that was there that they took their stuff and they left. Um, Nehemiah did sort of the same thing when they were selling on the Sabbath and they came in and he said, you know, I will lay hands on you. Um, probably not with anointing oil, but I, I'm going to do the things that I need to do to get you out of here. That was anger. And, and sometimes we call it a righteous anger. Um, and sometimes I have to ask myself, my righteousness or God's righteousness? Jesus had a righteous anger. Why? Because he offended his father. And they did things that God said not to do. And he became angry and he directed his anger at the behavior that was there and took care of the situation. Let's switch to joy. Same question. Where could you go to eat today if you got a dollar for every time you displayed joy this week? A gourmet restaurant, um, fast food, bargain menu. Which one? Joy. Um, blithesome or glee? Blithesomeness or glee? I don't use the word blithesome very often. Gladness, pleasure, rejoicing, cheerfulness. I, and I, I like this one, one definition from Sean. He says, it's a calm delight. Gladness. Uh, you may have heard the comparison between joy and happiness. Uh, happiness depends on the circumstances that are happening around me. And, and happiness is not always possible. But according to the word of God, joy is at resident in us. You know Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. That means that the Holy Spirit brings that to me when he uh, dwells me. You know, Jesus says that not only will the Holy Spirit walk alongside of you, but he will dwell in you. And when he dwells in me, everything that he is, all who he is, he brings within me. And one of the fruit of who he is, is joy. And it was interesting, when we first moved in, in, into our house a number of years ago, um, there was a tree in the backyard, and there was nothing on it. We moved in in March um, during a snowstorm. There was nothing on the tree, and I had no idea what it looked like it was dead. Um, later that summer, without our doing anything, that tree began to bear fruit. And we found out um, later in the summer that we had a pear tree. 
And, and that, that first summer, we, we had um, just bags and bags of pears that Cheryl gave out to people. She did fancy things with pears. And um, because it bore fruit, we were able to see it. It came out. We didn't have to look anything up after the fruit started coming out. And, and we didn't have to, to, to find out what that tree was because that tree bore pears. And God says, I've put fruit in you. Bear it. Let people see the joy of the Lord in your life. In the book of Proverbs, in, in 10.28, he says, The hope of the righteous brings joy. The hope of the righteous brings joy. Conversely, alternatively, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. In 12.10, he says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan peace have joy. I like that. If I plan peace, if I plan for peace, if I'm planning things to make things around me and around others peaceful, he says, boy, that brings such joy. What brings me joy when I'm, I'm in school? And I don't want you to think that, that school is always a horrible thing for me. Um, one of the things that brings me joy is the relationship that God has given me with my students. And uh, sometimes I'm standing out there and there's another staff person as we're waiting for students to come in. And, and I get about 10 hugs in the first 10 minutes of the school day. That brings me joy. Uh, because I, I've tried to build a relationship that sets things at peace. I've tried to build something into the lives. And, um, and it's been amazing because um, there's a group of, of girls who invade my classroom at lunch um, every day. Um, and none of them were born here in the United States. Um, three of them are Muslims, one's a Buddhist, um, and one has no idea what she is. Um, but they're, they're from, um, from Somalia, um, Yemen, um, Nepal, and Indonesia. And, and they come in, and when I see them in the morning, they're pushing each other out of the way to give me a hug. Oh, that brings joy. Um, one of the best arguments I've ever heard outside of my classroom was at the beginning of the year when girls were arguing. I said, oh, no, not on the first day. And I came out, and the argument was, whose favorite was, was they of mine? No, I'm his favorite. No, I'm his favorite. Oh, that brings joy. You know, strokes your <laughs> ego big time. Um, but it has you so into people's lives. That's what I'm, I'm learning. That when you give of yourself to others, when, when you set things at peace, uh, and sometimes when they're in class, they, they have to remember we're not in the halls anymore, and, and I have to, you know, to sternly speak to them. But they still show up at lunchtime every day. Um, they even cook for me sometimes, um, um, or have their parents cook for me and bring these things in. That brings joy. So I said, yeah, Solomon, I know what you're talking about. Um, cheated again and went to Ecclesiastes. For to the one in 226 who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. When you look to please God, he brings joy into your life. Let's go to Jesus, um, and, um, to Nehemiah. They're there, they listen to the word of God that Ezra's read to them for hours. Some of them were, were brokenhearted as they heard the word of God again. But then he said to them, Nehemiah or Ezra, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved. Why? And we quote this often, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The, the joy that God brings, the joy that God has placed in us, he says, let that be your strength. Let that keep you going. Don't look at the circumstances around you, but consider what's in you. And let me wind up with this passage from Colossians 1.10. This so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And patience with joy. Some of us have learned to be patient like this. We fold our arms, we look, okay, I'm giving you patience, and we're waiting, and we count down, and now he says, with joy, with joy. Even if you have to count down, and five, four, three, do it with a smile. Patience with joy. That's how God wants us to walk. So what's your choice this morning? Joy or anger? Joy all the time, and anger at the right times for the right reasons. Not because I've been offended, not because I don't like what you did, not because I don't appreciate your view, um, not because you... I actually had a person who got upset with me because I didn't get upset. Um, we, we had a youth thing going way back in my early days in ministry in Philadelphia, and so many things fell apart from our planning. And my thing was, hey, you know, we, got, we still have to live through this day, so let's do this and let's do that. And she came to me at the end, and she said, I was so angry with you. I said, why? She says, because you weren't upset like I was. Um, if there was no, I said, I didn't have time to get upset. We had to take care of things. And I said, and look what God did at the end of the day. She says, yeah, that's what made me convicted. <laughs> but anger at the right times over the right things, but joy all the time. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that Jesus would be evident in my life. As we leave here today, we enter our week. Will the world around us see Jesus? Will the joy of the Lord be evident in our lives every day? Will the amount of times I get angry for the wrong reasons only allow me to eat at the dollar menu and not from gourmet restaurants? Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're so very good to us. And we appreciate that you give us joy. And Lord, I know sometimes I make you angry. But I thank you that you have patience with us, that you would much rather extend your love towards us than show us your anger. And I thank you that even when sometimes we deserve and we come to you and we confess, your word tells us that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that you don't remember our sins anymore when we come to you. You told your people, the prophet says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. And so, Father, some of us have had to, to confess. I've been angry at so many things, and it's taken up resonance in my heart. And when people see me, they see an angry person. Some of us, Father, we haven't displayed joy in, in so long that if we, when we display it the first time, people are going to wonder what's wrong. 
So you know where we are. And I pray that we, we will take from the lessons that Solomon gave to his sons about being slow to anger, but allowing joy to be at resonant in their heart. And, and beginning today, not waiting until we're with other people, but on the way home today, that we would show joy, that others would be infected by our joy, and we would change the atmosphere of wherever we are because of the right kind of anger, getting rid of the wrong kind of anger, and always displaying joy. In Jesus' name, amen.